it's very much a network technology and when you have a network you have a community of people and the people that are building the community are the people that are creating the value within that network. It really will build a level of intelligence, human intelligence rather than artificial intelligence, as to what content has been most well received by the people in the community. Every single one of those Lightning IOUs that's transacted is backed by actual Bitcoin. So in many ways, it's the best form of money we've ever had. Hello, I'm Will Swain. Welcome to this inaugural Excalibur podcast. I'm really excited to hear about this project. And really, this podcast is about showcasing the Excalibur application and describing what it can do for the podcasting community. I'm joined here in the studio by the founder of Excalibur, Simon Smith. So before we get into the details, Simon, can you tell us a bit about your background? Hi, Will. Yeah, I'm an investor and tech entrepreneur. I've been um, involved in tech startups for the last 20 years. Been involved in Bitcoin since 2013. First started looking at that, really didn't understand technology at all at the beginning. And I think probably like most people that get into crypto and and buying crypto coins, I really um, didn't know anything about it. And it was really a case of FOMO that got me involved at the beginning. So I could just see that people were making money. I could see that the prices were going up. And I just thought, yeah, I, I would like to be in on this one. It looks like it's got a long way to go. The whole concept of there being a limited supply really suggested to me that as more people join the network, the value could go up. So yeah, there wasn't really a great understanding of the technology. But over the years, I have done quite a lot of research and I now have a much better understanding of what goes on with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And particularly last year, I really started to see that there was an opportunity to build an application on the blockchain that could be very useful. So when you say FOMO, you mean fear of missing out. We've all felt that one. Um, But coming back to the technology then, what is web 3.0 we hear this a lot web 3.0 web 2.0 what do we mean by web 3.0 yeah web 3.0 we do hear it a lot these days from my point of view i think the best way to understand that is really to start off by looking at what web 1 and what web 2 were so web 1 really was that period that was from the beginning of the internet through to about the year 2000 that's when we had the dot-com boom Lots of techies got together with lots of uh, artistic people and created some really beautiful websites. Uh, They were really testing the tools and trying to explore what we could do with this new technology, this new way of communicating with each other. Some of these uh, websites ended up becoming dot-com companies. And I think because it was such a new technology and it appeared to be something that would affect the way that we had lived our lives. It would be such an important technology. Lots of people wanted to invest because they thought there would be a really good return as the internet became a big thing. So lots of business angels and venture capitalists invested in the uh, technology and invested in these dot-com companies. Even at the end, uh, some retail investors got in as well as they were listed on the stock exchange and, and values went up a great deal. The only problem was that No one really had any idea as to how any of these companies were really going to make any money. So that's where we really got to the dot-com bust in the year 2000, where uh, nothing was really delivered in terms of actual bottom line profit. At the end of the dot-com boom, we discovered Web 2.0. And it's during that time that people started to discover the click-through advertising link. 
So that's pay-per-click as we know it today. And that was a little bit of tech that enabled advertisers to transmit through information about the customer to the person that was advertising. So the advertiser would know how many people were coming through from a particular advert. And that's actually been a problem in advertising since the year dot when people used to use billboards or newspaper ads. The advertisers would always say they know that half their advertising budget was wasted. They just didn't know which half it was. So this really was a a bit of a revolution when you could start to get real hard data about how many customers you were getting from a particular advert and what type of customers they were in terms of age, where they lived, uh, what they did for a living. All of this user data could be collected on the site that was placed in the ad and passed that through to the advertisers. So the advertisers were better able to target their advertising and know what kind of customer they, they were really getting. The only problem with this um, this kind of technology was that the return on investment for the advertiser is uh, significantly higher on a, a site that has more user data. So it's tended to create a centralization uh, where the companies that have the highest return on investment are those with the most user data, which are obviously Google, Facebook and Amazon. And we're now in a situation today where 70% of all advertising in the world goes to one of those three companies. So traditional media companies, TV, uh, radio, newspapers have have lost out because of that. But it also means we've got an internet now which is dominated by those big companies. They're very much monopoly providers and in, in some ways creators and customers are, are at the mercy of those centralized platforms. So that's where we get onto Web3 where you know ultimately what we did was we built the internet but we didn't really build a payment system for the internet. So this is what blockchain is. It is a payment system for the internet. I mean, people can pay for things on the internet using Visa or MasterCard, but the tendency is towards subscriptions because there's always that minimum transaction fee of 20 pence, sometimes more than that, depending on how well the the merchant is known. But it's tended towards larger payments where media is bundled together with something like Netflix and people are paying for a subscription. But this does mean that the smaller, more independent producers are stuck with advertising on the platform, effectively giving stuff away for free, but quite often having to put ads within the content itself, doing uh, product placements within their content. So, Simon, it'd be great if you could explain to someone like me, what is the blockchain? That's an interesting question. We've all been hearing blockchain for so many years. It's, it is rather a complicated one, but essentially it's a ledger, a flat file, a list of transactions that have happened. So since the beginning of Bitcoin, every single transaction that has taken place has been recorded in a digital file. And that file together goes to make up the knowledge as to how much Bitcoin each wallet address owns. That ledger is held on a number of different computers around the world and the community every time a new transaction takes place, update that ledger, and they always agree it between themselves. This is what makes Bitcoin highly secure, is the validation of the community of each transaction and the fact that they're agreeing that ledger between themselves and it can never be changed. One of the things that makes the blockchain very secure is that if there were to be any collusion from within the network to change the contents of that ledger and allocate more coins to themselves, then that would result in the value of the coins becoming worthless. So there's no incentive for the community to corrupt itself. Okay, so what I want to do now then is pivot perhaps the conversation towards your project. So 
Tell us about Excalibur and what Excalibur does. So Excalibur is a Web3 platform that's designed for decentralized media broadcasting. That we're specifically focused on podcasts right now. And the, the objective is to enable the podcaster to connect directly with their consumer so that uh, they're sending a, a link of their content to the customer. The customer has the opportunity to listen to that content for free. And if they like it, then there's a very easy way for them to pay. So there's a QR code on the same page as the content. There's also a uh, click-through link where they can create a crypto wallet where they can pay for the content if they like it. So Simon, let's say I'm a podcaster. How would I share content on the Excalibur platform? You'd go to the website. The first thing you would do is create an Excalibur wallet, which would create a place for your revenue from the podcast to go into. Mm -hmm. Then you would go onto the next page and upload your content. Click on the button, upload in a digital file. You then have the option to specify collaborators that might have worked on the project with you. Right. And it's possible for you to name them for the credits and allocate a percentage of the revenue that's coming through from people paying for the podcast. I see. So you might have a scenario where three of you worked on it. You want to go 20%, 20%, 60%. You can specify all that in the form. That then establishes a smart contract so that revenue that's coming through for that particular item of podcasting will split between those three wallet addresses. Mm -hmm. That's in contrast to the more traditional method where you would have had to create a company, establish legal contracts and accounts department, yeah. with invoicing and chasing people for money. It's a much simpler way to do it. Once you've done all that, the, uh, the, the file that you've uploaded will generate a URL link. And that URL link is something that you can send out to your audience when they click on it it takes them through to the web page where the content is listenable yeah and that's instantaneous isn't it within the application the url is instant once you've uploaded your file it takes a few seconds for the application to process that data onto the blockchain uh, but yeah it's pretty damn quick and so in that case if if somebody receives this link you're saying that they've got an option to pay or do they have to pay they have an option to pay, yeah. The key thing there is that the content that is put out on the platform is open source. So the customer has the opportunity to listen to it and see if they like it before they make the decision to pay. Okay, so we're in a cost of living crisis. Everything seems to be super expensive. Why would I pay for content that I can access for free? That's a good question. We're all used to getting content for free in the modern world of the internet. Uh, but with Excalibur, there's, there's really three reasons that we've identified. The first one is that as a, a customer or a fan of a podcaster, you might want to have the pleasure of knowing that you're funding the future production of your favorite podcaster. So that's one thing you're doing by donating some money to the creator. The second one is uh, the way the application is built. We enable people to listen to the content and paid for it and liked it. They, they're able to generate an affiliate link. So that's a, another URL which has the same content on it, but different payment details. So with the new payment details, the customer is included in the revenue stream of people that watch the content on that alternative link. So by sending it out to your network, anyone that pays for that content will be giving you 50% of the money that, that is earned. So effectively, by sending out that content using your affiliate link, you will be earning 50% of the money that is paid by the people you send it to. 
if it's then sent on from them to somebody else, you will get be getting 25% of the revenue that they are paying. So there is an incentive there for the customer, if they're an early discoverer of that content, they could try to get it into the hands of maybe an influencer that has a million followers. And then if it's passed on to a lot of people and it's really very popular, they could make quite a lot of money out of it. The other thing is when they do pay for the content, we give them a NFT, which gives them access to a gated chat room where they can speak directly to the artist and also potentially to other like-minded people that have decided to pay for the content. Okay, so you've mentioned an NFT. So how would you explain to someone like myself who's kind of new to Web 3.0, what is an NFT? Yeah, an NFT stands for non-fungible token. It's something that we like to do in the tech world is to create three-letter acronyms that other people just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, one of the things that we do want to do this platform is, is to make it as user-friendly as possible and to avoid terms that people don't understand. We, we want to try to achieve mainstream user adoption. And in a lot of ways, this is what the whole crypto world does want to do is to get more mainstream user adoption because it is a great technology. And if people are able to use it, then everyone can benefit from it. But an NFT, yeah, it's, I mean, fungible means copyable. So it's a token that isn't copyable. It's intended to be unique. That's what it mm. is, really. So you're getting a unique token, which you can use. Uh, you can either keep it, like I say, as a souvenir in your wallet, or you can use it to access that exclusive community. So you've mentioned the word community. Um, is that a buzzword or do you plan to build a community around this application? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, some people would argue that community is uh, the killer application of crypto. I think it is the way that a lot of things are managed using crypto. It tends to generate a community to be built around it. It's very much a network technology. And uh, when you have a network, you have a community of people. And the people that are building the community are the people that are creating the value within that network. So, yeah, I, th I think it can be a buzzword for sure. But I think one of the things that we do have in mind with this application is that each bit of media can actually generate a community around it. And having the ability to communicate with other people that like that media, potentially with the artist as well, you're all the people that have funded that production and are potentially funding the next piece of production that that artist is making. And if the artist is open to that, then they can put ideas out there to their audience and ask them you know, what they might think about ideas for future content. I think artists do generally want to connect with their audience, but using something like Twitter, where it is an, an open forum, they often get trolled by people that, that aren't really their fans at all. So you you would assume that people that have actually paid something towards the content are probably not the types of trolls that are just there to take them down. I mean, maybe there might be one or two that really are that kind of people where they'll pay just in order to access that community. Right. But I would hope they would be very few. So Simon, you and I recently spent time at a Web 3.0 conference and I heard this term, another acronym, uh, DAO, a DAO. I heard it multiple times. I, I had no idea what people were referring to. I just wondered if you could sort of unpack that idea for us and just help us understand it in relation to your application. 
Yeah, yeah, that's another good one. It's a decentralized autonomous organization. It's something that is used quite a lot in crypto and it describes that community or uh, network that I was talking about. So one of the ways I like would like to describe a DAO is if you think of Facebook or Instagram, I mean, those are computer applications. The application itself would be worth nothing if there was nobody using any of those applications. So what makes Instagram an interesting forum is the people that are on there that are posting and liking and sharing. That's what generates the content within that platform. But of course, all the money that's made from the advertising on that platform goes to the shareholders. So if you imagine an alternative scenario where you start a new community or a new network and the people that are posting and liking and sharing are rewarded, then they are the people that are the community. If they are being rewarded in, in some way and given a say about how that community should evolve, then you could probably end up with a better outcome for the customer it may be that they would still be interested in having a financial return for the community, but they could also consider other objectives about the uh, the health and the uh, the experience of the people that are the customers of the platform. Also, how their data might be used. Well, it's interesting you say that because when we think about Web 2.0 and sites that you mentioned, such as YouTube as an example, my understanding is that they are using algorithms and personal data, as you mentioned, to curate what we watch. But with Excalibur, you're coming at this from a different angle. So perhaps you can talk to us about the community with Excalibur and how that will lead to better content. Yes, I think this is one of the uh, key opportunities with this application is the possibility that the activities of the uh, customers on the platform in terms of choosing what they like, uh, choosing what they pay for and choosing what they share with their network, that in itself will form a curation because there will be information on the blockchain about what content has had the most money paid for it and the most shares. So it really will build a level of intelligence, human intelligence rather than artificial intelligence, as to what content has been most well received by the people in the community. So, Simon, we've all read stories about people losing cryptocurrency, having lost their private keys. How does Excalibur deal with that specific problem? Yes, this, this is actually the biggest problem in the industry, in my opinion, apart from the three-letter acronyms, is the fact that people hear stories about people losing their coins, their bitcoins or other crypto coins because they've lost their private keys. And to me, it really comes down to the way that a crypto wallet has you storing your private keys. The 12 words that the wallet gives you, the 12 randomly generated words that the wallet gives you when you first set up the wallet and you're told to either remember those or to put them in a very safe place or put them in a safety deposit box and most people don't have a safety deposit box and there's very few people that can remember 12 randomly generated words i think people remember pictures better than they do words but what tends to happen with those 12 words is that people write them down on a piece of paper and they lose them and one of the ironies of the, the crypto world is the people that have made most money out of crypto are the people that have bought and held for a very long time. They've ridden out the waves of the price moves. But of course, the people that have bought and held for longest are the ones that are most likely to lose their private keys. And it's not just 
losing the coins themselves, it's then the pain of having to watch the price go up while that asset you bought, you just don't own it anymore. It's very frustrating. So one of the things we wanted to do when we first set out with this project is to create a wallet that had a better user experience. So we decided that we could uh, prompt the user to upload a digital photo. So that's any photo they've taken with their iPhone. It could be a picture of a door frame or a picture of your own thumb. It could be a picture of absolutely anything. But every picture you take with your phone is a unique digital file. And to a, a computer application, that's simply a string of data. So that string can get hashed into a private key and that can form the private key to your wallet. So wherever you go in the world, if you want to access your private keys, you use that photo to access the wallet. You also have the option to add a password there as well. So the password and the photo together in combination give you access to your wallet. Now the way to ensure that you don't lose that combination there is to use a password you know you're not going to forget and to store that photo in a number of different places. So I would recommend putting it on every device you have, putting it on the cloud, and then airdropping a copy to your mum or a close friend in order that if you do lose the photo when you have a real disaster and all of your devices go down, then there's always a backup and you can always get that key back and access your wallet. This is not very prone to hacking as well because everyone on their devices has thousands of photos these days. And, you know, in, in reality, they would need to know which photo it is. They would need to know that you're using this kind of wallet and they would also need to know your password as well, mm -hmm. as well as actually gaining access to one of your devices. So I think the chances of being hacked are small. The chances of losing the key if you do it right are probably pretty small as well. Mm -hmm. Just moving along then, which cryptocurrency will Excalibur use? At the moment, Solana is a currency that you can use to pay for content on the application. We're also going to enable Bitcoin Lightning. The reason that we use these two are they're both very low transaction fees and pretty much instant payments. To me, this is the uh, key thing that crypto does better than the traditional financial system. It's enabling electronic payments at a very small cost. The reality is when Visa or MasterCard enable a, a payment, the actual transaction cost costs them very little. So it really is time that the uh, industry rationalized itself and it's time for a, a new payment system to be installed which enables small payments, which enables crowdfunding of media and the 20p minimum charge that's being charged by Visa and MasterCard is not a deterrent because I think that is the uh, major thing that has led to the evolution of the internet being more based in advertising and subscription than anything else. Um, people tend to not really like advertising. We've accepted it as, as being part of the internet. I don't know about you, but subscriptions to me are not ideal because I end up getting them stuck on my bank account. I forget that I've subscribed and I find them six months later and I've been paying Eleven ninety nine a month for something I haven't really used. You know, at the yeah. beginning all I did was sign up for the two week trial, forgot to cancel it, and yeah. that's where I ended up. Yeah. So yeah, the the pay as you go internet I think is the new opportunity here, the ability to pay per item of media, and that's really what we've seen tested with the NFTs. The NFTs, um, okay, bit of a speculative bubble there. Everyone's heard about it. You know, people are paying very high prices for JPEGs. But I think, yeah, you've got to see NFTs as being a tool that's being tested. We've established that technology that cryptocurrency can be used to pay for discrete bits of media. And that NFT can be any kind of digital file, be that a podcast, a 3D experience, a video or a song.
Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong. I access the content and I can pay for that if I choose using Bitcoin or Solana. But talk to me about the XCAL tokens and how they might be useful in the future. So yeah, the XCAL tokens will be given to people for doing good work on the platform. So anything that builds a network and builds the community, there will be automatic rewards of XCAL tokens. So it's kind of like the equivalent of Bitcoin mining when Bitcoin first got started. People were doing Bitcoin mining and earning Bitcoins using a very small amount of electricity on their computer. It's a lot harder to mine Bitcoins now as the network has become bigger. But the idea is that people that share content through the network and generate a larger audience for content creators will be rewarded with XCAL tokens. And it's possible that at some point in the future, people will build new applications on top of Excalibur and they may be able to use these XL tokens in some way to grant people access to those applications. Okay, so let's just unpack the idea about Bitcoin. So do you think Bitcoin is something special in a separate way to other cryptocurrencies? Yeah, this is a uh, subject of much discussion within the crypto industry. There are some people called Bitcoin maximalists or Bitcoin maxis, they're sometimes called, that believe Bitcoin is the only real coin and nothing else is really worthwhile. I think other people have a view where the other coins may be worth something. They may have uses as, as media applications with NFTs and DAOs. But I do think there is uh, something special about Bitcoin. It was the first one. It is a genuinely decentralized network. And the value of the Bitcoin network is really in the, the people that, that exist within that network and do the mining and maintain the ledger of Bitcoin. It's such a strong entrenched thing now that you could really work on the basis that the Bitcoin ledger will never go away. There will always be some people that will store that ledger on their computer and agree with other people in the network that the wallet addresses that are listed on that ledger own the Bitcoin that they own and it will never be corrupted. Uh, it, it's really the case that anyone that tries to collude within the network and change the ledger and allocate more coins themselves will simply be destroying the value of the coins in the process. So it means that Bitcoins have a really strong value as a form of money. If you're looking at the value of Bitcoin in money, again, it's worth looking potentially back at history and looking at how money evolved. Money got started really because people used to use a barter system. So if we were uh, back in uh, pre-money days, I might have been a chicken farmer, you might have been a sheep farmer. But if I want to swap two chickens for your sheep and you don't want any chickens, then we can't do a trade. So people came up with a medium of exchange, uh, which was gold mostly. People used bits of gold in order that could be a more free exchange of goods and services between different people. And you didn't have to have that double coincidence of once in order to make a transaction happen. So what happened over a period of time is people were using bits of gold to trade for things, but it was heavy and it could be stolen and it was kind of awkward to get it down into smaller, smaller pieces. So people stored their gold in the vaults of the goldsmith and the goldsmith would write them a note to say, I owe you one ounce of gold, for example, and that piece of paper would serve as a receipt for the gold but it also got traded and used as a medium of exchange for goods and services and that's how paper notes evolved. 
The only problem with this system was, at various times through history, the people that stored the gold in the vaults, initially goldsmiths and then evolved into bankers, they would fall foul of temptation and they would print more notes than they had gold for in the safe. So this enabled them to run a system of credit and to lend the notes out to people and earn interest. But at various times in history, there's been a run on the bank where people have tried to get their gold out and discovered there isn't enough gold in the bank for all of the notes that have been issued. So, of course, that's led to the government nationalising and controlling the whole thing in the sense that they had to be in control of it to prevent this from happening. But I think what we can see today is that the governments really have fallen foul of temptation themselves and printed a lot more notes than they have gold for. And it is, of course, uh, digital numbers on the screen now, and it's not backed by gold at all anymore. So depending on your point of view, uh, whether you believe the system that we have will continue to persist or perhaps uh, it will go wrong at some point. Some people have that point of view, not everybody. But if it were to go wrong, then people would be looking for a different form of currency. And it has to be said that Bitcoin really does serve all the criteria of money, being durable, portable, divisible, and resistant to counterfeit. It serves that better than anything we've had before. What's been created with the Lightning Network is really like a system of IOUs on top of Bitcoin. So where gold was stored in a central vault and controlled by a central authority, Bitcoin is stored in lots of different wallets by lots of different people. And the Lightning Network sits on top of that. So Lightning transactions can happen without being committed to the Bitcoin blockchain. Because as Bitcoin has become wider and more popular, it's become more expensive and more slow to do transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain. So Lightning now serves as a cheap, fast credit network that sits on top of Bitcoin. But every single one of those Lightning IOUs that's transacted is backed by actual Bitcoin. So in many ways, it's the best form of money we've ever had. Simon, I'm just going to roll you back slightly. So how does the Lightning Network link with Excalibur? So the Lightning Network is a payment mechanism that we are allowing to be used on Excalibur. So in some ways, Excalibur will be a application that's built on top of both Solana and Bitcoin Lightning because we're enabling those systems as payment mechanisms that people can use to pay for content on the platform. So it potentially really is a revolution in a means of exchange and a store of value that is stronger than any form of money we've ever had. Simon, you're getting me excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just pivot the conversation to something that's perhaps a little bit more contentious. Is this going to be the new OnlyFans? No, it's not like OnlyFans. Uh, number one, we don't use subscription as uh, OnlyFans does. We are pay-as-you-go, and we're not planning to put porn on the platform. Okay, so how will you manage censorship? Yeah, censorship, that's a very difficult one. We don't really want to have to censor, but in reality, a level of censorship is necessary. So we will have as, as little as possible, but we intend to try to empower the community, particular members of the community, to act as validators, where they're having a first look of content before it goes out to the public, and they're acting as a community to provide a number of confirmations that the content complies with the rules 
and they will get paid for doing that. They will also have a stake of cryptocurrency on the platform, so if they're found to be in collusion to getting the wrong kind of content onto the platform, they will lose their stake. So Simon, I'm going to have a go at summarising kind of the key points from this podcast. Now, you can butt in any time if I've got any of this wrong. So Excalibur has created an application that utilises Web 3.0 to allow content creators to broadcast their own content. So you're essentially decentralising broadcasting of media. Consumers can pay for that content if they want to support their favourite creators. And that means that they get an NFT giving access to an exclusive community and also potential earnings on the content. And from what I've gathered, it's really about building a genuinely engaged community around quality content. Absolutely. You've really got it there. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, Simon, we've come to the end of the podcast. Before we sign off, where should people go if they want more information about Excalibur? Yes, if they they want to find out more or even to use the platform, then go to xcal.tv. That's E-X-C-A-L dot TV. That's great. And thank you for spending this time talking to me, Simon. And I hope to speak to you soon. And thanks for listening. Thanks, Will. It's been great chatting.